You and your dog are a team. Fuel is best in the field and in life with Purina Pro Plan Sport. Made for hardworking dogs of all ages, every sport formula starts with real meat as the number one ingredient and is specifically formulated to support strength and stamina. Try it today and see why ProPlan is the official dog food of Ducks Unlimited. Learn more at ProPlanSport.com. Welcome to the Ducks Unlimited podcast, the only podcast about all things waterfowl. From hunting insights to science-based discussions about ducks, geese, and issues affecting waterfowl and wetlands conservation in North America, we bring the resource to you. The DU Podcast with your host, Chris Jennings. Joining us today is John Pullman, a contributing freelance writer for Ducks Unlimited Magazine and a uh, contributing writer for Ducks.org and also a friend of the DU Podcast. John, welcome back to the podcast. Yeah, great to be back with you, Chris. Now, I, I asked John to come on and we're going to talk some off-season waterfowl hunting, um, some different things that he's doing out there. But uh, John lives in South Dakota and he, you know, driving around, he has his eyes on the habitat out there. So, John, can you provide us a little update on the habitat, the breeding habitat there in South Dakota? Yeah, absolutely. Uh, yeah, you know, so it's probably not going to come as any surprise what I'm gonna what I'm gonna talk about today. Um, I think folks, pretty, you know, if you've been listening to the podcast, you've heard uh, other guests have been on the on the podcast talk about how you know conditions really across the Prairie Pothole region are are rather dry this year, and South Dakota is no exception to that. Um, you know, when ducks started pushing back up north late March into April, um, you know, we just did not have the wetland conditions to stop a lot of those birds. Um, we had some carryover water from last year where, you know, larger wetland basins, uh, your semi-permanents, they, they have some water in them now um, or, or in, in earlier in the spring, um, but those shallow temporary semi-permanent um, uh, or excuse me, uh, temporary wetlands, they were just dry and, and they remain so now. We just haven't uh, had enough moisture to, to get those things recharged. And so what we're seeing out there right now is where you're finding water, you know, some of these larger wetlands, you're going to see ducks here in South Dakota. Um, I saw some uh, just yesterday, drove past kind of a, a larger semi-permanent wetland in, a, in the middle of a pasture and there were five, six, seven drake mallards, lone drakes. Uh, out there loafing around, which to me suggests that, you know, there's a hen nearby, uh, nesting in the, in the pasture. But, um, you know, those, those little small wetlands that just really drive duck, duck production, we just don't, we don't have them this year. And so it's, um, you know, what, and I think Dr. Scott Stevens mentioned this on earlier podcasts that it's, it's what makes this unique this year is that we're seeing these conditions kind of widespread throughout the prairie pothole region. And, and, and so we're, we're probably looking at, you know, duck production that's going to be down this year. Um, but you know, it, it's, there's a, there's an ebb and flow to these wetland conditions here, uh, and on the prairie. And, and we need those wetlands to draw down from time to time, really to recharge so that when the water does return, that they're, they're that much more productive. Um, you know, as a duck guy, I, I love to see green grass and, and wetlands full, but I also know that it, it's just part of the cycle. And, um, hopefully, you know, we have caught some rains here in the last several weeks or last few weeks, excuse me. Um, that's been enough to kind of keep the grass green. Uh, it's been enough to kind of help uh, farmers get their crops up and out of the ground. Um, and if we catch a few more rains, um, they will certainly benefit uh, maybe some late nesting uh, efforts, whether that's gaddies or, or shovelers or blooming teal or whatever. Um, if we get enough rain here, I mean, it's still, it's still we're in, in May, um, but if we would get enough rain, 
um, you know, the ducks will, they'll, they'll find that water, um, you know, if we get enough of it and, and put on a, a nesting effort here yet this summer. But, you know, again, overall, it's, it's, it's not great. You know, it, from a hunting standpoint, I'm guessing we probably aren't going to see as many local birds next fall. Um, but, you know, hopefully we catch some rain here over the course of the summer. Um, next winter, we get some, a little better snowpack so that we can see these wetlands recharged. And, uh, you know, it's a waiting game at this point. But overall, it's, it's the conditions we have this year are not what we've had in, in years prior where we've just kicked out a boatload of ducks. I don't expect that this year uh, to happen. And like I say, that's just, it's just part of the cycle of the prairie. Yeah. And, you know, just speaking to the cycle of it, I mean, you, you were on the podcast last last year, even early in the fall talking about difficult hunting conditions because you had so much water. Yeah. Um, you know, and, and you had some of these larger wetlands or smaller wetlands that actually ended up being larger because you had so much water. Yeah. Um, and that's, it's just, you know, how, how different, you know, one year makes and that, and, and you're right to say that um, it's not always, it's not always a bad thing. I mean, we, it, we all look at it as, you know, low duck production, due to the habitat is is definitely bad but like you said for the habitat sometimes it's it's beneficial to have that drought um that's how these you know temporary wetlands recharge and and build back and uh you know that's how they that's how they fluctuate so uh, it's not all bad news i guess i'm glad you pointed that out exactly you know and and not to get out in front of my skis here too far but it, it where there would be reason for concern is if we have several years of this, you know, back to back to back to back. And that's when you're going to really start to see a, a significant impact. Um, you know, we've, we've been, we've been enjoying some really good duck production for the last, you know, overall duck production for the last, I mean, going back to when I, you know, first started duck hunting in all honesty, it's been a while since we've had um, widespread a dry conditions. And so, you know, that day is coming someday down the road. Um, but for right now, you know, this is, uh, you know, we're just looking at a one year deal at the moment and, um, yeah, it is, it's, it's a part of the, the ebb and flow of what happens here on the prairie. And it's, and honestly, it's what makes it kind of a special place too. Yeah. And, you know, there's, you know, always discussion whenever it's dry. Um, there's always discussions, you know, really from, um, you know, just hunters, you know, more like us rather than the waterfowl managers talking, you know, restrictive limits and, you know, mm-hmm. some, some restricted seasons and some changing. Cause we've, we've always been so accustomed to that liberal yeah. framework. And you and I are in that generation of we've, we've pretty much had that the whole time. Yeah. <laughs> you know, we've, we've not really, you know, I know I have not hunted in a, um, in anything other than a, you know, restrict or liberal framework. And, and that's, that, that's something to start looking at and, uh, you know, the potential down the road. But like you said, we're way far away from that yeah. right now. And, and hopefully, yep. uh, but, but I just hear that that's kind of the work on the street. You see people on chat forums and online and, and they're already talking, you know, gloom and doom here. Um, but, but hopefully, like you said, you get some rains and, and things yep. change. Yeah, exactly. Well, let's, uh, let's roll on to, uh, you know, it is May. Um, it's a, we're a long way from duck season, but people like you and I, um, we, we, and there's a lot of our listeners out there just like us who are constantly thinking about duck season, you know, whether it's a a change in tactics or a change in gear or, you know, some new ground to hunt or anything, uh, you know, the waterfowl season for us is year round. And, and I always make the joke that, you know, people are always like, oh man, you probably love your job. You get to, you know, duck hunt here and there. And, 
And I'm like, yeah, but during May, when you're talking about crappie fishing and, and, uh, <laughs> going to the lake, I'm still sitting talking about duck hunting, you know, <laughs> but that's a good thing. That's a good thing. But I wanted to bring you on here and kind of talk about some of the off season things that, that you're doing. And maybe some people can pick up some tips on that and, and possibly even get some people motivated to start preparing, um, for the fall. So, so what's, what are some things that, that you're focusing on right now at this time of year? Absolutely. Well, I'm, I'm staring at one of those, one of those things I'm working on and he's about six feet from me laying on my office chair. <laughs> that's my, that's my yellow lab. Um, you know, it, it, there really isn't an off season and we talk about an off season, you know, when we're not actually out in the field doing things, but, um, you know, there's always, like you said, there's always lots of things to do. And, and as a dog owner, um, you know, my hunting dog is, is a top priority in the off season just to keep him in shape, um, keep his skills, you know, relatively sharp. Um, yeah, you know, the, the vet that I use is so adamant, uh, and he's always constantly reminding me about how, you know, as hunters, we can't expect our dogs to go out on opening day and, and perform like a super athlete if they've been laying on the couch or an office chair all summer. And so it's, it's, I feel it's my duty to make sure that he's in good shape. Um, and so we go on daily walks and runs and, and do some, you know, do some marks on a daily basis. And, uh, I know, uh, folks will recommend one of the things you, you know, that you can do to kind of, kind of spur that growth or that, that, um, you know, keeping your dog in tip top shape is maybe looking at joining a, a retriever club in the area, someplace where you can meet other people, uh, work your dog with the help of other people, you know, so that's, that, that would be one great thing for someone to do. Um, but if you don't have a, a, a club locally that you can do that through just in all honesty, enlisting the help of a friend, um, whether the, you know, whether your, your buddy's got a dog or not, someone that can help you, um, throw marks, um, while you handle the dog to, to do some of the training aspect of it. Um, you know, but one way or the other, get your pup outside, you know, take walks, run, uh, throw marks, keep them in shape so that when fall comes, you know, your dog is, is ready to go. Yeah, and that's a that's a good point that we've talked about many times on here, especially with some some trainers and some uh, some kennel owners who talk about avoiding injuries. And uh, we'll continue to have other podcasts later in this season about injury avoidance. But um, you know, the one of the biggest injuries is because dogs are laying around all summer, and then all of a sudden it's you know, hey, it's go time, and uh, and they expect that dog to get out there and really get after it when they're, they're just not in shape to do it. It's just like a professional athlete. So, uh, yeah, that's a, that's a good one. Um, uh, you know, an- another thing, and this is something that just kind of popped up to me and, and I know something that you can probably elaborate on, um, is th- this is a good time of year to take your shotgun apart, break it down, mm-hmm. really go through it, um, uh, give it a really proper cleaning and, and, and maybe even take it somewhere to uh, to have it done professionally. Exactly. You know, I I shot the same gas operated semi-auto for 20 years from Prairie Canada to Maryland to um, Missouri, Arkansas, you know, here in the Dakotas. I took that gun everywhere and but it was a fickle it was a fickle gun with that I had to keep it really clean during the season for it to operate efficiently. You operate really well. But what I learned, you know, several years into it is that if I in the off season if I took the time to uh break it down and really thoroughly clean it and um and and eventually I started taking it into a gun shop just so they could take the spring out of the stock and and really break it down and clean all of it is that if I took some time in the off season to really put some time into cleaning it getting it getting it in tip top shape 
when hunting season came, um, you know, the minimum maintenance, I mean, I'll be honest, you know, it's, it's, it's one of those things that falls to the side uh, when hunting season is here. But, you know, if I did some minimal maintenance to it, then during the season, I could get a lot of more miles out of it. And um, I'll, I'll tell you what, there, there's nothing, there are a few things worse for me as a, as a d- duck hunter than denying my dog a retrieve because my gun didn't cycle a shell or something because it wasn't clean. And uh, let that happen a couple times to me. And I'll, you know, I'll remember that it's taking care of my gun has got to be something that I do. And the off season is a, is a really good time to do that. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it, there's nothing worse than, than pulling up and knowing that your gun didn't go off because you were just, uh, not, not being efficient with your time and not paying attention to, uh, you know, the, the tip random maintenance that you should be doing anyway, exactly. that can be frustrating, but yeah, it's a, it's a good time, uh, a good time to do it and taking it in somewhere, taking it to a gunsmith, letting them go all the way through it, break yep. it down. You know, um, I've taken guns apart and just had, you know, everything from, you know, wheat and barley seeds falling out of the receiver to, you know, stalks of grass and, you know, who knows what was in there. So, um, it's a good idea to, to go ahead and do that on a regular basis, but the Absolutely. Is definitely a good time. Absolutely. I've had whole pieces of a cattail. I mean, you know, yeah. I, I, a piece that's several inches long come out of the magazine of my gun and, and, uh, yeah, it's, it's a good reminder that it, it's something that you need to do. Yeah. And, and, and that kind of, you know, that leads me to my next one here, um, on my, my little short list here of notes. Um, and it's, and I don't know how much you're into this and, and this may be something that, that, that you're really into because we've not really talked about it, but learning a waterfowl recipe, like what, what is, what is your go-to waterfowl recipe? That's, I guess that's the, that's a good question. Oh boy, Chris, how much time do we have? Cause I could talk <laughs> food. All, I could talk food all day. Um, you know, lately what I've been doing is, um, Last summer, I purchased a wood-burning oven for outside, and so I've been using that for just about all of my cooking. And so my go-to recipe the last uh, the last couple of years, or last year in particular, is a um, pan-searing a, uh, a skin on duck breast, whether that's a wood duck mallard, whatever it is, pan-searing it on one side and then finishing in that oven and then making a sauce, um, you know, with, with the drippings, adding some butter and shallots and red wine and stuff like that. Um, that is absolutely my favorite way to eat a bird right now. Um, you know, for years, you know, I did the, we call it rumaki, which is just a bacon wrap, um, you know, piece of duck that's been soaked in some Italian dressing, stuff like that. So I've been, I've been trying to grow as a, as a duck chef over the last several years, but that pan-seared skin on duck breast is my favorite way to, to do it these days. Um, you know, I've, I've last year, I think I spatchcocked one. I cut the backbone out of one and, and did the same thing. I grilled it. Um, I did that one just on the grill, uh, with some plum sauce. Um, I, you know, I, I'll, my, there aren't a lot of people in my immediate family that will eat wild game. So I'm usually probably one of the only ones that will do it. Um, but those are my, those are my, probably my favorite ways to do it. Um, on the grill or in the oven. Um, it's, it's when done correctly. And I don't always do it correctly, but when it's done correctly, you know, it's the taste of that mallard, especially when you know that you've shot it and, and you brought it home. Um, it's, it's something special. And especially when you can share it with friends, you know, a hunting, a hunting buddy or whatever that, you know, maybe is with you that day. Um, I really enjoy cooking it up, but that's, that's probably those two that, that grilling that spatchcock duck skin on plucked or the, um, or the, the skin on breast and the, uh, seared and then put in the oven. Those are my two favorite ways right now. Yeah. And you're right. The way that, you know, if, if, if when you get it right, I should say yeah. is 
that that's just perfection. And that's also for me, what I've learned is when I, you know, cause I'm always messing with different recipes, especially talking to some of the people that we have on the podcast about recipes and things like that. I'm always trying something and, and I've ruined a lot. I'll be honest, <laughs> uh, but I've also gotten to where I'll cook something that, you know, I have a lot of people that aren't really familiar with wild game and wild duck, <laughs> but I'll get one right. And it kind of opens people's eyes to the opportunities and they're like, mm-hmm. Oh man, that that's great. And they're, and then they're like, Oh, well maybe we should try this and add something. So mm-hmm. it really, you know, kind of opens the door for people um, to also get involved. Um, especially during the off season, it's great to introduce people to it and introduce people to new recipes and, and wild game in general. And next thing you know, someone will be motivated to get, to go with you that normally wouldn't. Um, and I think that's a cool part about it. And this is a great time of year uh, to focus on those recipes. One of the best things that I've done and, and is, very similar um, that I started doing last year, mainly out of an abundance of uh, speckle belly breasts was pan searing the speckle belly breast skin on mm. and just, you know, then thinly slice, serve with a little bit of rice, yeah. uh, make up any kind of sauce or, you know, any, anything you want. I, I was doing a lot, very light marinade, almost like a teriyaki on it for, you know, 45 minutes to an hour before throwing it on. And man, that's that's such a great recipe. That's that's just so simple. It's basic, and for some reason, even people who don't eat waterfowl on a regular basis, they'll get into that. And I think the the very light flavoring of the the speckle belly lends lends you know lends everything to that recipe. I think. Yeah, absolutely. You know, I think there's a progression as as um as duck duck cooks or waterfall cooks or chefs that, you know, you, you start with those things where um, it seems like you probably add a lot of, a lot of ingredients to it. Sometimes it somehow kind of masks the t- actual taste of the wild bird a little bit. But as I've gotten older, I, I appreciate more and more and more that the actual taste of that bird. Um, and again, like I say, it, it's, if, if, if I can have a morning or a day where I go out in the morning and, and shoot some birds and uh, um, my buddy and I that night can, can grill them up or cook them up and, you know, a nice glass of wine and, and uh, there's nothing better. I mean, that to me is like the epitome of a waterfall hunting experience is seeing it go from the field to the table in a day or it doesn't have to happen a day, but just bring it brings it full circle when you can share it with somebody, um, you know, share it with somebody that, that you uh, like to hunt or someone that's in your family, like you mentioned. And, and if they aren't a hunter, like it is, it's a good gateway to, to show them what, uh, how special of an experience this is, but it's absolutely, it's, it's, uh, cooking those birds is, uh, is an absolute, uh, essential part of the. You and your dog are a team. Fuel is best in the field and in life with Purina Pro Plan Sport. Made for hardworking dogs of all ages, every sport formula starts with real meat as the number one ingredient and is specifically formulated to support strength and stamina. Try it today and see why ProPlan is the official dog food of Ducks Unlimited. Learn more at ProPlanSport.com. Experience for me. You know, the next one on my list is something, and you've written a lot of articles about different variations of this. So I think this is a good question for you. Planning a dream trip, you know, no. plan, planning a, you know, I think you've done articles on extreme hunts and even freelance in the prairie pothole region you've you've mm-hmm. done different variations of this and and the cool thing about this is it's different for everyone you yeah. know what one guy's 
plan or dream trip might be is totally different from what yours would be. So, uh, you know, kind of explain how you would go about, you know, planning your dream trip. Sure. Well, you know, doing a planning a dream trip in the off season is, it's a great way to pass the time. I mean, it's, it gives you a lot of fun things to, uh, to think about, but it's also a, probably the, it's the absolute right time to do it just from a logistical standpoint, because sometimes putting these things together, it, it takes time. Um, and it's whether that is, you know, getting your license or making, you know, travel arrangements, you know, things like that. Um, you know, I've got a lot of places that I have, I have I've been blessed to be able to hunt ducks and geese in a, in a lot of different places, but there are a number of, of, of locations that are still on my list where I'd love to go someday. Um, and you know, it's, not to get too philosophical here, but we've only got so many years on this earth. And so it's, it's, it's one of those things where at some point you really have to get down and do it and, 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 and make a list of those places that are maybe a little bit more, um, practical to begin with. And, and practical may mean from a money standpoint or from a time standpoint. Um, but, start, make a list of them and, and find a way to, to try to start checking them off the list. Um, you know, it's going someplace new is, uh, is a great way to, to, to meet new people. Uh, you, you f- somehow find a way to connect with like-minded folks from different parts of the country. When you go there, uh, folks that, that are as, as passionate as you are about, you know, um, ducks and geese and, and wetlands and grasslands and the migration and, and whatever it may be. Um, but you know, that's the first thing for me is, is, you know, I have a list drawn up and here are the places that I know that I can, I can probably check off while I'm still, uh, I've got a young family and, and things like that. Um, and the summer is, or, you know, the off season is a great time to do that. But that's, for me, that's the first step. Draw, put that list together and kind of put an order of, I know I can do this. And maybe at the bottom of the list is something that's pretty exotic or, or, or expensive or whatever, maybe. Yeah. And you can go about this in several different ways too. It doesn't just have to be someplace I've never been. I mean, um, it can be maybe someone is, is targeting a specific species, you know, oh, sure. or one, yeah. wants to be on a, you know, one of the picturesque canvas back hunts and, and, you know, has, has to plan that trip to, the upper Mississippi river national wildlife refuge area, you know, up there on the Mississippi river, um, you know, the different pools where you can get on those just, just epic canvas back hunts or even a coastal hunt, something like that. So, uh, that's another approach to it. Have you, have you kind of approached it just as places you've never been or is it, have you done it by species where like, I want to shoot mallards in the timber? You know, I'll be honest with you. I, there was a day in time where I kind of had things, you know, I wanted to shoot a, a, a stud drake pintail down in, in the, you know, coastal Texas or Mexico. Um, you know, birds that we don't see in full plumage up here in South Dakota and early in the fall. You know, that for me, those were, those were hunts that I wanted to take. Um, you know, Montana, places where for me it was, it was new experiences. But over the last, 10, 11 years, um, since, you know, my oldest son, Miles was born, it, my dream hunts have, have started to revolve around what I want him to experience. And, um, and those don't necessarily have to take me as far away from home. And it may be things that I've already experienced as well, but I want to see him, um, you know, and his younger brother, Max too, when he gets older, see him experience those things. And so my, my dream hunt list has shifted in the last decade, just based on my, on my situation. Um, you know, it's, 
There are, though, for me, there are certain locations that I have not been that are just iconic. Um, I have been out to Chesapeake Bay, you know, on the eastern shore, but I, have, I haven't done a whole lot of hunting out in western U.S., um, whether that's Sacramento Valley down in, in, in California, um, the Pacific Northwest, um, you know, so there, there still are those locations, um, you know, uh, Canada in the, on the Eastern seaboard, uh, whether that's Prince Edward Island or wherever, um, you know, shooting a black duck, you know, out, out on the East coast somewhere. Um, so those, those, those parts of my dream list are still there, but in all honesty, right now, my, my top dream hunt is seeing my boy shoes versus duck. And that could happen five miles. That could happen five miles from home for me for right now. And so trying to lay the groundwork, um, to, to, to make that happen is my, is my top focus right now. But someday, hopefully, you know, my boys will travel with me to Noto Prairie, Canada or down to Arkansas, hunt flooded timber, all those other places that are on my list. And, uh, but we're going to start with baby steps right now. <laughs> That's right, baby steps. Yeah, I just had uh, I just had Field Hudnall on the show, and we kind of talked about his his boys are. I wanted to say four and eight, maybe uh, right around that age group, five and eight, right around there, um, which is very similar to my my daughters. And and we talked a lot about you know the introductions to hunting and how he's doing it and how I'm doing it, and it was a a pretty thorough conversation. But you know that's one thing for the off season. Um, that people can, can really focus on is, is getting a younger hunter. It may not even be your kids, but getting a younger hunter interested in it, in the process. Are there any things that, that you're doing with your boys now that you're just keeping them engaged with waterfowl hunting? And it may just be working with the dog as well. Um, but anything else that, that you may be doing with the kids to keep, keep them engaged? Yeah. Spending time outside. Um, you know, in all honesty, we, we do a lot of camping in the summer. Um, spending time outside, uh, you know, when I, I mean, he gets, my boys get tired of me pointing out <laughs> different ducks, you know, did you see that, see that type of a deal? Um, you know, but that's, that's part of our focus right now is just being outside, um, you know, spending time with, uh, we, sh- we still shoot BB gun and Pelly gun, um, you know, out of my dad's place, chasing blackbirds and stuff like that. And, and, you know, you know, gun safety, um, uh, my oldest has started to express some interest in, uh, duck calling. So starting to teach him the first steps on, on what to do with a duck call. Um, you know, you kind of go at, at their pace and, and my experience is different from yours, which is probably different from fields and it's different from everybody else. Uh, but those are, those are some of the bigger things we're doing right now. And, and, you know, in terms of the duck call, um, I think that's a great way to every, every kid likes to get on a duck call and make noise. And so, and it doesn't have to be your own, your own child to do this, but if you, you know, if you find a group of kids that uh, you can get in front of and start teaching them the, the basics of, of duck calling and, and, you know, those first three notes down the kind of coming down the ladder, um, you know, that's, that's a great thing to do, uh, over the course of the summer. And there's loads of instructional videos online that, that, you know, that you can show, uh, whether, whether you're trying to, polish your own skills or teach a new hunter as well. There's loads of things you can find online to do that. But any, any time that you invest in kids is an investment in the future of the sport. And so it's, it's, uh, you can't, you can't go wrong no matter what you do in the off season. If you're spending time with, with kids. Yeah, it's a, that's a, it's a good point. And, um, you know, we talked a little bit about, you know, just the pace of, of kids learning and, and it's all different. And you, you hit on that where, you know, some kids are going to be more interested in other things. Um, but I was just kind of thinking to myself, kind of chuckling that here in about four or five years, uh, your wife is going to have all three of you 
just wailing on duck calls in the front room. <laughs> you guys are going to get kicked out of the house. She's going to make you guys go outside, like get out back, even when it's cold. That's going to be a great day. With all due respect to my wife, I look forward to that day when uh, my boys are, <laughs> if my boys are wanting to, to learn the duck call and we're making that much noise, awesome. I'm all for it. Absolutely. That's great. Um, you know, another thing that people do in the off season, and I'm kind of bouncing around here a little bit, but um, focusing on decoys, kind of looking at what mm-hmm. you had and, and what you used and, and what you would want to use. Is there any specific, uh, maybe a spread or, or something that you're adding to that you've looked online? You know, I spent a lot of time just cruising around the internet, looking at different decoys. And uh, mm-hmm. is there anything that, that you're going to add to your spread for next year? You know, I'm basically just updating, um, updating some of the decoys that I have. Um, and it's just all a part of me being, I love, I love new hunting gear. I mean, it's, I could probably get by with some of the stuff I have, but I like to buy, I like to try out new things. Um, you know, I've, I've made a turn to a lot, using a lot of silhouettes in my field spreads, um, just for ease of transportation, if nothing else. And they, and they're, they're effective, um, by and large. And so that's, that's largely what I'm going to do is, is I've got some older ones that I'm going to replace with some newer silos. Um, and, uh, you know, I've, I have hunted with, uh, Texas rig duck decoys for the last four or five years. Um, but this year I'm planning on doing a little, a little bit of hunting in some deeper water. And so rigging some of those with a uh, little longer lines that can handle, um, you know, I think the, the Texas rigs I have are four feet, the, the lines on them. And so I'm going to be restringing some decoys to be able to handle a little bit deeper water situation. Um, and, you know, going back to a previous point, this is a perfect activity to do with the kids uh, just to get them involved. Um, you know, they love setting the decoys out in the yard, whether we're, you know, if we're wiping them down and, and just trying to clean things up a little bit. Um, it's, it's, uh, it's, it's something great to do with them, but yeah, just that's, that's my main focus for the decoys this summer is just updating a little bit, getting, uh, getting a few, um, a few new, uh, styles, decoys, uh, some silos and, um, that's about it, but it's, you know, that's a fun job to do on a, on a summer afternoon is to break everything out and get everything set out in the yard. And the neighbors think I'm kind of weird, but, uh, they understand I'm a duck hunter. So. That's funny. Yeah, I can imagine your neighbors watching you set out a decoy spread in your front yard. <laughs> it's happened more than once. <laughs> I think we've all done it. You know, and that's funny you mentioned the silhouettes because we've talked about that a lot. Um, not necessarily on the podcast, but kind of in the office a little bit. The the, uh, the reintroduction of the silhouette decoy to uh, today's hunter's arsenal has been a pretty drastic change of event. And I'm I'm part of it. I mean, I, I switched to a ton of silhouettes last year hunting in Arkansas and, and did not notice a fall off on decoying birds. Um, and, and that's just, it, it used to be so common. That's what everyone hunted with. And then mm-hmm. we all switched to these full bodied, fully flocked, super realistic, you know, and then we all realized that, man, I'm going to have to buy an 18 wheeler to haul all these things around. Yeah. Um, and I think that's really what the change is. Um, just, you know, trying to get more numbers without the hassle of, of having to haul them all around, whether in, out in the field or even storage those things. That's what I like about them. Is that, is that kind of why you switched to the silhouette? Yeah, absolutely. It, it's, you know, I, I, um, 
I don't like to take a trailer if I don't have to, you know. Um, and so with silhouettes, I can fit my basically my entire rig inside the back of the, the back of the truck. Uh, and that's that's dog blind, or, you know, um, my dog kennel, my you know, a couple of blinds, and ten dozen silhouette decoys. And to, for ten dozen full body decoys, you know, I would have to take a trailer. I mean, that's just part, it's just yeah. one of those things. And so it, yeah, it's my the change I made was out of space. Um, it was to, to kind of try something different again. You know, I, I'd used full body decoys for a long time and they're effective and they're, I think there's still a time and a oh, place yeah. for them. Um, but it was, you know, I, I watched my friends be really successful uh, for both ducks and geese uh, running simply uh, silhouettes. And I saw how easy they were to put in the ground and I saw how realistic they looked. Uh, the images have gotten, you know, have improved greatly on them. And I thought, let's give this a whirl. And at this point, there's no looking back. Um, it's they are uh they are my go-to for field hunting right now and um they and they work that's that's what and like you said they've been around for a long time and uh, the reason they have been is that they're effective yeah have you gone to silhouettes on the duck side of things yet or in the field in the field yes i'm i'm gonna try that this year um against the better judgment of uh of my hunting partners who are adamant that I do not use silhouette ducks. Um, I'm going to do it probably when they're not there. Um, (laughs) But I did a hunt out in Salt Lake several years back where they're used, they used all silhouettes. Um, And they weren't even detailed silhouettes. I mean, it was like a black silhouette duck and, and it really, really worked out there. I think a lot of that had to do with the, um, reflections off the water, you know, the bright sun, the, the way that the Salt Lake, um, it's just like a shallow, just as far as you can see. And it really created a, a the perfect situation for silhouettes. And I, my eyes were really opened by that. And I think I can recreate that same scenario in Arkansas. Um, but I can't get anybody to go with me because they don't think it's going to work. So. Uh, when, and, and I should say, you know, in the field for ducks for me, I mean, literally in the field, you know, in a cornfield, yeah. wheat field, something like that. I will use silhouettes though over water if we're in a shallow water situation where, um, you know, whether it's a little flooded spot in a, in a low spot, excuse me, in a wheat field or a bean stubble field, something like that. I think they look super realistic because that's, you know, if you throw a handful of floaters in there, that's exactly what the birds look like when they're out in those spots. They're standing, feeding in that shallow water and those silhouettes can be a great, um, a great addition. And if, and if we've got something where, especially this year, uh, where things are looking to be pretty dry in South Dakota, um, you know, the use of silhouettes up on the, on like a muddy shoreline, um, are a great way to add some more visibility and they're a great way to maybe help hide a dog blind or something like that or your layout blind if you're setting up on a, on a mud flat. Um, they can be a great way to, to add, you know, like I say, some color and some concealment there as well in a situation like that. But you know, they're a versatile, they're a versatile tool. And I, I certainly encourage, you know, hunters, to, uh, if you don't have any in your arsenal at, at this point, there's, there's some good ones out there. Go ahead and take a look at them. Yeah, and it's always good. This is the time of year where you put that plan together. You certainly don't want to be trying to order decoys, um, you know, two weeks before the season comes in, especially now what we've seen over the course of the last six, eight months. We've had some shipping issues and some the timing of that has uh, has not always worked out. So what you really want to do is is put together a plan now, get that get that ball rolling, uh, maybe even like you said, you know, jot down your list and uh and jump on it so and john is there anything else that you're doing this off season that you think our listeners would be uh you know interested in and and maybe you know want to try you know the, the thing that probably that i do most often uh is just observe and i know that that sounds kind of weird but i 
I, in the off season, I'm, whenever I'm out driving, I'm, I'm looking around and that's, there's a practical side to that. And there's just an enjoyment side of it too. I love, um, I love just going out and watching birds. Um, whether that's here in South Dakota, whether that's ducks, geese, pheasants, grouse, whatever, turkeys, whatever it is. I just like being out there. It adds to my overall enjoyment, um, as a hunter, uh, being able to, to see them kind of year round. Um, I've seen goslings so far this year. I haven't seen any duck broods yet, but I know they're not far behind. I'm sure they're out there, but I haven't seen any myself, but you know, I just, I, I like just to be out there taking a drive. Um, I'll take a different route to go someplace. If I know I'm going to be able to drive by a slough or a marsh complex or whatever it may be. And then there's the, there's the practical side to it too. And in terms of, of when I'm out and about right now, I'm looking at what crops are going and where, um, you know, I'm paying attention to maybe, um, Maybe farmers that are maybe switching to a, um, that are going to be providing some silage for a dairy in the area. So I know they're going to have some corn chopped early, which is an early goose and wood duck spot that I can maybe look at, you know, in September. Um, you know, looking at it from a, from a hunting standpoint, always through a hunter's eyes, uh, water conditions, you know, this wetland is dried up. Um, you know, this one's holding water. You know, just always being a, an observer. I think it pays to be curious. I think, it, you know, as a, as a duck hunter, it, it pays to, to always kind of have your eyes open. And like I say, always look at things through the, through um, the eyes of a hunter. Um, but that's above and uh, beyond. That's the one thing I do most of all is I'm always just looking. Uh, it's just something I really enjoy. And it drives, like I mentioned before, it drives my boys nuts. It drives my wife crazy once in a while when I'm pointing out different things. But um, it's just one of the things that I really enjoy doing. Yeah, no, that's great. And it also drives the guy driving behind you nuts too, because you're, you're, probably, you're probably like me, like half pulling over, slowing down, you know, half on the road, people honking at you. Um, you probably don't have that much of a problem in South Dakota as much as we do around here with the traffic, but uh, I'm sure there's someone who's complaining about you slowing down for sure. Yeah, I every once in a while, yeah, you'll catch yourself doing uh, pulling off to the side and not uh, probably not paying as much attention as you should. But yeah, my binoculars are on the front dash of my truck year-round for that very reason as they should be well john this has been great uh great conversation i hope you know our audience picked up a few things that they can focus on this summer um even if it's you know just introducing kids to calling um picking out their decoy spread or or like you said just really spending time out there watching the birds so um, it's been fantastic i appreciate you joining me today thanks chris i appreciate it I'd like to thank my guest, John Pullman, contributing freelance writer for Ducks Unlimited. I'd like to thank our producer, Clay Baird, for putting the podcast together and getting it out to you. And I'd like to thank you, the listener, for joining us in supporting wetlands conservation. Thank you for listening to this episode of the DU Podcast. Be sure to rate, review, and subscribe to the show and visit www.ducks.org slash DU Podcast for resources based on today's topics, as well as access to more episodes. Opinions expressed by guests do not necessarily reflect those of Ducks Unlimited. Until next time, stay tuned to the Ducks. You and your dog are a team. Fuel is best in the field and in life with Purina Pro Plan Sport. Made for hardworking dogs of all ages, every sport formula starts with real meat as the number one ingredient and is specifically formulated to support strength and stamina. Try it today and see why Pro Plan is the official dog food of Ducks Unlimited. Learn more at ProPlanSport.com.